0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis
1: and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Isha Desai. Today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Sonia Ati and Brianna Cardenas of Keck Graduate Institute. Sonia is the founding program director for the Master of Science Program in Physician Assistant Studies at KGI. She has led the PA program directors and new PA faculty through curriculum development at numerous PA programs across the US. Brianna is the director of clinical education and professor of practice in the MSPA program at KGI. She currently serves as the Physician Assistant Education Association, or PAEA, CASPA Steering Committee to help diversify the PA profession. She's also an award-winning faculty reviewer for us here at Osmosis Knowledge Diffusion. Thank you both for being with us today. So maybe I'll I'll start with you, Sonia. Can you start by telling us briefly your background and what led you to your interest in healthcare? And and Brianna, I'd love to hear the same from you as well afterwards.
0: In college, I was pre-med until I went on a study abroad trip to Italy. And I don't know if it was the beautiful Roman architecture or if it was the stracciatella gelato, um, but my perspective on things kind of changed. And I realized that there was really this world out there that I wanted to explore that I hadn't gotten the opportunity to do so. And so when I came back, I decided to continue the pre-med curriculum, but I didn't take the MCAT and I didn't apply to medical school. And I ended up uh, going into corporate America and eventually landed at a job at the American Cancer Society headquarters in corporate communications And I love writing. So I I really thought this was gonna be the perfect blend for me where I was writing about health and writing about patients. But the longer I was there, the more I realized that that was not the way that I wanted to be integrated in. And I really wanted to have these connections with patients. And so around that same time was when I met a newly graduated physician assistant. And she was so excited about her career and told me all about it. And after I did my own research, I realized that that was really where I fit into medicine. And it would allow me this flexibility that I had always wanted, but to also still get that critical thinking and that problem solving that I really liked um, about medicine that, you know, things that you were deciding can help really change someone's life, but also the relationship and the connections that I could build with patients were really important to me. And so once I found that out, um, you know, becoming a PA was really the right track for me. And again, those connections was what really drew me to healthcare in the first place.
1: That's awesome. And uh, Brianna, what's your backstory? I'd love to hear that as well.
2: Awesome. Thanks. So uh, I am the first person in my family to pursue um, any type of graduate education or any type of career in the health sciences. And so in high school, I was an athlete and had a really strong interest in injury rehab. I actually hurt my shoulder and my knee several times. So I got exposed to a variety of different healthcare providers at an early age. And so in college, my uh, undergraduate major was athletic training. So I graduated college and became a certified athletic trainer. And in my very last rotation, uh, I was just chatting with one of my preceptors in undergrad. And he was like, you know, why don't you consider going, you know, into med school or going and advancing your education? Because I really think that you have the capacity to be able to serve, you know, in a broader scope of practice to help the community. and That sounded really appealing to me, but I think because I didn't have family members or, you know, a lot of people in the medical field that I was close with, uh, the idea of pursuing graduate education was a little bit intimidating to me. I really didn't feel like I could afford for my family's sake to go to school for another several, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years and so one of my preceptors told me about the PA profession and I felt like I was a little bit late to the game. I was like, I've never even heard of a PA. Uh, I'm about to graduate college. Can I, can I do this? And he was like, yes, it's amazing. You have a big scope of practice and it's only another two to three years. And I was like, wow, like I think that I could do that. So uh, I went ahead and applied uh, to one school because that was all I could afford to apply to. And I knew that like I needed to stay close to home. And so I actually ended up going to PA school five minutes from home. Um, I've lived in the same community my whole life and then became a PA and I worked in pain management for the better part of my career. Because I have a chronic illness, I actually had to take time off of clinical practice uh, when I had back surgery and then got my toe in the water in PA education once my back started to recover and I fell in love with education a couple of years ago. So I'm really excited to be here at KGI.
1: So a common theme then between both of your stories is that it wasn't on your radar. And, you know, Sonia, in your case, you had something different on your radar. Um, But then it was on your radar. and, And when it was, that's when, for lack of a better word, like the love began. You know, you kind of fell in love with this profession. You really enjoyed the profession. Is that a theme that's common? Like, as you reflect on students at KGI, is that a common story? Like, did they often not know about it? And then they came to know about it through, like in your case, Brianna, a mentor, and then kind of through word of mouth or through knowing that person then explored it? Is, is that a, a common theme?
0: So I'll say I think it is. And I think it's becoming less because I think there is more publicity around our profession. Um, and I hope it continues to go in that direction because now we've been speaking to pre-PA clubs at schools, not just pre-med clubs. So I think there is broader knowledge about it within college students. So they get it. But I think that took several decades to kind of get there, because our profession's been around since the 60s. But I think a lot of people don't really understand it. Brianna knows a lot about this. There's so many misconceptions about our title. And and I think that also has contributed to people not really knowing, oh, this is really the scope of practice. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know I could do all of that as a PA. And I think the more
1: that people do
0: learn about it, the more this becomes an option for them.
1: That makes sense. Yeah.
2: And I would totally agree with what Sonia said. It's it's definitely in college systems, we're starting to see a lot more awareness. And one of the issues that we're going to touch on today is really the lack of diversity in our profession. And I think because it's, things are just slow to infiltrate like layers of education, there's really still not a lot of awareness outside of academia as students are going through and into undergrad and so forth. So the awareness is still really low in high school and in middle school. And really, I think that's a prime age where students are really starting to think about like, wow, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? How do I want to serve my community? And I think that if we can start to reach younger and younger people, then they'll be aware that, hey, this is something that I can do. I can be done by the time I'm 25, 26 in some cases, and I can just get out and start helping my community. So I think that uh, those are some goals that we have as just a profession in general is to increase the awareness around what we can do, who we are, and how we can help our communities.
1: So on everyone's mind right now is issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Do you mind just walk me through kind of what are some of the concrete things that KGI is doing, both in terms of recruiting folks uh, to come to KGI, and then also the, the cohort that you do recruit, how do you train them to think about issues of culture uh, differently than maybe it was being taught even a few years ago or a decade ago?
0: Sure. So just to provide a little perspective of where we are right now, as of 2019, the vast majority of matriculating PA students were 25 years old, white, and female. And we all know those statistics are not truly representative of the U.S. population. So we're trying to really fix this imbalance and You know, provide equal opportunity to students of different races and cultures and genders and gender identities and financial statuses, ages, experience, everything. We're really looking for a diverse student population. And we plan to achieve that through taking a a few different approaches. So the first is that we really want to have a holistic admissions approach. And we're not just looking for 4.0 students. We want someone with dimension and someone who shares in our mission And, you know, we do that by looking at the whole person and all of their prior life experiences, not just their academic experiences. And, you know, we really want someone who loves working with patients. That's extremely important to us and why we require a thousand patient care experience hours before they come into our program. And we're also really looking for the applicant's capacity to succeed. So if they've showed resiliency, either personally or academically, then that's what we're really focused on instead of just the numbers. Um, the second approach we're taking is by decreasing barriers in general. So instead of having you know, 10 to 15 prerequisite requirements, we've really streamlined that and decreased the number to seven. And there's even some flexibility within those seven that we've selected. We're also not requiring the GRE. You know, We haven't found a concrete connection between the student success on the GRE and student success on our certifying exam. So for us, it wasn't convincing enough to really create this barrier financially for students who couldn't not only afford to take the test, but also couldn't afford to prepare for the test. So we've really removed that from our program. The third approach we're taking is is a little bit different. So we don't want, as you said, to just recruit diverse students. We want to make sure that they stay and that they thrive. And the way we do that is by developing matriculation training modules for our students. So they know what to expect in the years ahead. But these modules are not just for the students. They're also for the families and their significant others. And, you know, we found that students who are underrepresented in medicine, they support their family or they live in multi-generational homes and their families really need to be on board. So by the families also taking these training modules, they can learn and understand what the commitment is that the student is making, and they can better understand the journey so they can really be there to support the student through it all as well.
1: That's phenomenal. I, I'm so curious, like what is in those training modules for family members? I'm just thinking of my mom and dad taking a <laughs> module, like what what what's in that module? I'd be so curious to learn.
0: So we're still working on them, But what it really will talk about is was wellness and burnout and really just understanding this is the expectations that we have on our students this is a type of time commitment that it will take and you know a lot of families can feel like the student has sort of neglected them or abandoned them by not attending certain family events and things like that and i think if you have sort of that expectation you know this is going to be 27 months it's going to be different in your life and i know you may be used to a certain type of support and a certain type of presence from the student But this is not a decision they're making. This is part of the commitment that they've chosen that will ultimately change their life. So, you know, that's something we're actively working on, and we really do think it will make a difference for some of these students.
2: Yes, and I think to that point, you know, one of the things about really um, walking the diversity walk instead of just talking the talk is really understanding, like, what do students from diverse backgrounds need to hear? What do they need from their professors? What do they need from their programs in order to really thrive? So in those pre-matriculation modules, we're incorporating some of the things that have traditionally been barriers for students, Um, especially I can speak to, like, the Latinx experience going through this type of program and what a lot of my students have expressed in this community is especially for Latinx women, we're expected to work and be caregivers and take care of our younger siblings and provide for our families. And sometimes that can be in conflict with needing to study for six, seven hours a day, or however many hours need to be put into this program um, in order for the student to be successful. And so talking with the families about like, hey, this is what the daily life of your you know, daughter, son, et cetera, is gonna look like. This isn't gonna be forever. This is how you can help support them. Please don't be mad at them if they miss birthdays and so forth for the next, you know, just a couple of years. It'll all be worth it. We can get through it together and just really having everybody on board so that they have not only, like Sonia said, a clear expectation of what's going on, but also to know that there are resources available for their students and the students know that there are resources available for them as well. And I think that's a really cool thing about being at a graduate institution is that we have resources through like student affairs and so forth that are really tailored to the graduate student, not just like a traditional undergrad, because those needs are definitely different. Uh, One of the kind of unique things that I think that we're doing still to the point about like, how do we start to recruit for diversity and retain diverse students? is that we're really trying to start early. So reaching out to programs uh, that help with high school students that are interested in health professions, doing outreach as early as grade school and primary school to make sure that students just have this on their radar and they know, like, hey, this is an option for me when I get out into college or when I'm ready to go on to graduate school.
1: That's remarkable. I mean, there's, there's a phrase, and I'm going to butcher the phrase, and, and, and I don't know who initially said it, but it's something like, if you can see it, you can be it. Like, once you see someone talking about something and that person looks like you look then you're like oh maybe i can do that thing that they're doing that's so awesome it kind of makes you aware of your potential um and the fact that you're going young is is awesome what what is the youngest age that you're able to target this messaging towards
0: so at this point we're we're targeting as young as high school but our goal is to eventually extend to elementary school in the future Um, but we wanted to kind of solidify it at the high school level and then expand downward
2: Right. We're already developing partnerships with coalitions throughout Southern California that are working with students as they call it the K through 14 system. So I was familiar with K through 12, and I had to ask, like, what is the 13 and the 14? And they were like, that's community college. So um, all the way, hopefully down to like kindergarten and grade school, because I think at that age, it's like, are you going to be a doctor or a nurse? And PA is like not even on the radar. So if we can even just start to plant that seed at a young age, I think that we'll really start to see some growth and diversity in our profession.
1: One of the things that uh, having grown up in Southern California is very obvious to me is that it's a very diverse area and KGI is at the center of that. Uh, Do you mind just sharing a little bit about how you think about cultural competency?
0: Sure, sure. So, you know, our focus as a program is really to advance healthcare. And we're going to do that through educating our students about leadership and about serving their communities and about really providing compassionate care to diverse populations. And all of that is a part of um, promoting health equity. So we wanted to make sure that we are putting cultural competency and linguistic competency training throughout our didactic and clinical phases. So we're not just hosting one lecture or just doing one course on this. We're really integrating it throughout. So it starts from the very first semester when we have a community health course. And we actually have our students out into the community, meeting community members, learning about the healthcare needs of that community. And then they're coming back to our program and creating patient education materials that can really speak to those issues. And we hope to also disseminate those materials into the community, kind of help resolve these issues that they've identified. And then we wanna carry that theme throughout the program. So we don't just want it to stop there through all of our case-based discussions that we'll go through and the OSCEs that our students will go through. We want them always considering the social determinants of health. You know, We know that if we have patient A with pneumonia and we have patient B with pneumonia, you don't treat them the same exact way. And the reason being is that you don't treat a condition, you treat a patient. And we want our students to learn that from the very beginning. So we will do that. We'll have that as a part of our clinical cases. And we also have our students write reflection papers about what they've experienced on their clinical rotations as well. You know, if there's a group or a population that was negatively impacted by some of the social determinants of health. But in addition to that, our program is also focusing on LGBTQ plus care um, because we've noticed that this has been largely absent from uh, lots of graduate medical education programs out there. So we're really already making partnerships with Centers for Gender Affirming Care so they can help support us through both the didactic and clinical phases of our program.
2: Just a little quick note to add is my goal as the Director of Clinical Education is to make sure that our clinical experiences for our students really reflect the diversity that's here in Southern California. So uh, our clinical experiences will take place everywhere from big hospital centers with multiple specialties and all of the resources that are available to us in Southern California, all the way to like street medicine and mobile clinics so that students will have an opportunity to work with all different specialties, all different people from different walks of life and different socioeconomic statuses, different lifestyles. So that way they're ready to serve the people that live here and they're ready to really provide equitable care for all patients that they encounter.
0: And we're also hoping to create a medical Spanish course that our students can also complete prior to them even matriculating into our program so that we can get really the full uh, scope or as much as you can pack into 27 plus months uh, to help get them really prepared to serve in these capacities.
1: You both are aware that we are a teaching education company and we love to kind of fill knowledge gaps. Uh, Maybe both of you can take some knowledge gap or myth or whatever it is that you think that the general public could benefit from learning about and maybe share that with us now, if that's okay?
2: To start, I think one of the things that everybody should know about PAs is that according to U.S. News and World Report, and also according to many PAs, that we are the number one overall job in the country, the number one healthcare job according to the latest U.S. News and World Report. So it's a wonderful profession that people are generally really happy with when they are out and working in the field. Uh, And I think that's really important because we touched on how prevalent burnout is. I think another misconception actually comes from our title because we hear physician assistant and a lot of people confuse us with medical assistants or they confuse us with like somehow belonging to the physician, like physician apostrophe S, like the physician's assistant, and it's just physician assistant. And um, we're actually working to consider a possible name change because of the confusion. And it's not just us at KGI, but this is like a national initiative that AAPA, which is our national uh, advocacy organization, is considering. Um, But we really want to start educating people sooner about what we can do, including the past program or that PA summer success program that we touched on a little bit earlier. And we want to make sure that we're dispelling myths because for the longest time we were called like mid-level providers, which is kind of a misnomer because we don't provide like a middle level of care. Our background and our capacity in the healthcare system is actually really broad and flexible and we can essentially switch specialties at will. We're trained in a generalist education, so every graduating PA is ready to serve in a primary care capacity when they graduate or pivot into a specialty if needed. So we can do everything from diagnose and treating illness, prescribe medications, we can conduct research, we can perform lab procedures, order and interpret tests and imaging, we can assist in surgery, and we can even own uh, our own medical practices in some states And with that being said, I think the neat thing about the flexibility of our profession is that owning a medical practice is kind of along the entrepreneurial spirit. And so uh, the PA profession really has so many pathways in addition to those traditional clinical pathways. We can have that entrepreneurial non-clinical pathway. Some of us work in PA education, so you can go the academic or the publishing route. Um, there's leadership roles for PAs in all of our advocacy organizations, and even roles for us in like pharmaceutical companies, such as medical science liaisons. So I think that just knowing all the things we can do, all the places we can work, and the flexibility of our profession is really important and exciting.
1: Just, just respond to that. Uh, so I didn't know that that there's a name change on the horizon or that that's even in the cards. Um you don't need to pay me for these suggestions. I'm just going to give them to you. So based on what you said, the happiest clinicians, that's one. Uh, another one you can consider is clinical chameleons nice. based on the fact that you can <laughs> oh, like that. Oh, I like yeah. that one. Um, one. And the final one is more practical, but clinicians with less debt. So great think suggestion. about those <laughs> <true>. um, <laughs> as potential suggestions that you can, you can take forward if, if you wish. But Sonia, I'd love to get your thoughts too.
0: Yeah, I would just kind of echo everything that Brianna just said in a focus that we're taking, you know, in our program is really to focus on those different career pathways, because I think just knowing that the PA profession is as versatile as you want it to be is what is the most exciting thing, Um, because there are a lot of healthcare professions that don't have this type of flexibility. And just knowing that it does mirror a lot of things that a physician could be capable of. But you know, different scope, but we can still take these academic and research and you know leadership positions. And more and more PAs are really carving out these leadership roles in healthcare administration and, and other areas. And just knowing you don't need to have an MD or DO behind your name to do that, I think is is also something that most people don't know. And I and I'm proud that more and more are kind of staking their claim because they do have the knowledge and experience to, to really succeed in those roles.
1: So one final question I'll pose to both of you then is, let's say you could go back in time and speak to maybe not yourselves, but some version of yourself, like 10, 20 years ago, um, a person that didn't know about the PA profession wasn't or maybe just learned about it was kind of navigating. Um, and essentially, that kind of person might be a listener, right, listening to the podcast. What would you say to that person as they watch your careers? You both seem very successful and mostly, you know, and happy and have kind of figured this out, essentially. And if they're kind of standing at the crossroads and trying to figure out what to do, what advice do you impart or what do you say to that person?
0: So let Brianna take this one first.
2: So I guess if if you're a student... Just know that one of the traits that is really important in any type of healthcare professional is willingness and excitedness to help. So anytime that you start to see an opportunity, whether it's volunteering, the pandemic has created a lot of you know capacity for volunteer work or helping out in your community, just be willing to jump in and help. Be willing to put yourself out there. Um, be willing to anticipate the needs of what others may need. And just learn to start interfacing with members of the healthcare community. So learning to communicate with each other, learning to work together, learning to just embed yourself as somebody who is a helper in your community. is really important because at the end of the day, if you're an MD, a DO, a PA, an NP, whatever the case is, we just need to be able to work together to help our patients. So just start getting yourself out there.
0: And for me I'd say what we sort of touched on today is you know health inequity is a huge problem and it's it's getting a little bit more pressed these days but there's a lot that I think for instance if you're early in your career as a health professional that you could be focused on so you don't just focus on being able to treat and educate your patients but you should really also focus on listening to your patients and learning from your patients really listen really empathize, learn from their stories and experiences, and learn what they're actually going through. And oftentimes the thing that you're looking for, you can find in these types of conversations because you're able to, you know, as an effective provider, you're able to figure out what their circumstances are and what their abilities are. And so whenever you're creating a comprehensive management plan for your patient, you should be considering their insurance status. You should be considering, do they actually have the ability to pay for this visit? and pay for the treatments that I'm prescribing to them? Or do they even understand the treatment regimen that I just created for them? Did they realize that I meant that they have to inject insulin more than one time a day? Did they get that part of it? Do they understand that? And also, do they even have the transportation available to them to come to my next visit? Um, So I think if you are able to consider all that and you do all that, then you'll truly be successful and be able to gain the trust of your patients.
1: That's fantastic advice from both of you. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us today. Of
2: course, thank you. Thank you. And just one last thing is that for anybody listening, if you're not sure if you can do this, especially if you're coming from an area that maybe is considered underserved or you're the first person in your family to consider going and getting graduate education or working in a healthcare profession, please know that there are people in the profession who will support you and help you and offer resources. And we want you to be in our profession and we know that you can do it. So please reach out and know that we're here for you. Absolutely.
1: That's awesome. And it's a great message coming from KGI, an institution that we all uh, trust and respect. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Dr. Isha Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together.
0: For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.